Hey, it's, uh, it's good to be back. Here we go. We're jumping in uh, to the beginning. We started last night kind of in the middle of the text, and then today we're starting, and now we're going to work our way through to the end, to through John 17. A couple of years ago, uh, I was asked in February of 2020, I was asked to do my first wedding. It was going to be April of 2020. You knew that. You know how that ended uh, in a courthouse without me. Uh, but I got asked by my wife's uh, best friend from college who has walked away from the faith if I would do her wedding. And uh, I was excited to do that and had a great conversation with her just about kind of her journey away and what are some of the things that prompted that and uh, kind of where she stood today. And through this conversation, as we were talking about Christianity and kind of uh, what she thinks about it, she said, you know, I feel like Christianity. Here's my biggest beef with Christianity. I feel like it's just a crutch for people. Some, some sort of almost excuse to kind of lean on when life gets, gets hard. And I sat there and I took her, her, her feedback and I said, you know, Sam, here's the thing that I want to push back and want to question you on. I want to know how you've become so deceived as to think you can get through life without that crutch. Um, tonight, we're, we're talking about that crutch. Um, tonight, we are talking about what is the prerequisite to our union with Christ. Uh, we live in a time in a, in a culture that prioritizes strength and independence. I kind of harped on that a little bit last night. Uh, we live in a billion-dollar self-help industry sort of world, um, believing that we can get ourselves out of the problems that have either been created by us or around us, uh, that we can figure out on our own how to find peace and joy and purpose. If we just try a little harder, we can find it. And that's what we're kind of told. And it's not just like those people out there in the world, those crazy people, but it's us, right? It's us in this, war, in this room. Um, it's going to be, and, and, and here's what I mean by that, it's going to be your tendency this week. It's going to be your tendency this week to Instagram yourself. To appear on the outside that you've got life figured out. Uh, perhaps even if you want to spiritualize that, it's going to be your tendency, it's going to be your, your draw this week to act as if you've got this whole Jesus game going strong. Like, since the last year at YXL, you've just been killing it. It's going to be your tendency. Or maybe if you're afraid of outing yourself as not so strong, perhaps you're going to be kind of remain silent, not to, you know, out yourself as the one guy or the one gal in your group who hasn't had such a good year. But here's what I want for you this week. Here's my invitation for you this week. I do not want you... When, when you get into your groups or when, you know, the pressure's on in your group, I do not want you to put your best foot forward or your best face on to try to impress the other people in your group. Instead, what I want to refer back to, to the passage last night, what I want is for the grace of God to prune you. Perhaps some of you have just been growing and growing way out there and fruit's not hanging on your branch anymore. Would you let the grace of God prune you this week, that you might be drawn back to utter dependence on Him and Him alone? Um, there is a, a passage to kind of tee up our passage. Uh, 
In, in Romans 8, Paul says that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. I can say a lot on that, but what is the law of sin and death? It's, it's, our, it's our tendency that I was talking about to be enslaved to how you present yourself. To be enslaved to yourself and your own strength your own will, and that leads to death. And so the paradox of our freedom in Christ, the paradox of the life of the Spirit, is that the weaker and the less put together you are, aka the more real you are, the more you're going to benefit, the more you're going to grow, the more you're going to get out of this week in particular, the more that you're going to experience the richness of your union with Christ, the more you're going to be nourished by the vomit. And so tonight the question we're answering is, what is the prerequisite to being united to Christ? Is there a prerequisite? And Jesus is very clear in our passage. Yes, there is. There is. He will say, you have no share with me. All that is mine, it cannot be yours. All the blessings of the Christian life are not yours unless, unless I wash you. And so the title for, for tonight's sermon is that we are united to Christ in our need. Prerequisite is that we must be washed by Jesus. Um, let me pray and then we're going to read our passage. I put it on the screen or you can also pull it up on your phone or pull out your Bible. It's John 13. But let me pray before we go to his word. Um, God, you are um, gracious and you have revealed yourself and your will. You've taught, you have given us an example, and you have laid your life down to save your friends. I pray as we come to your word um, that you would draw near to us, that you would comfort those who have had just a summer full of disruption. And Lord, would you tonight use your word and by your spirit disrupt those who have had a summer just far too comfortable on their own without a care in the world. Would you do that? Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. John 13. We're going to read 1 through verse 15. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart, out of this world and to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it on the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, face to face with the one who's about to betray him. He laid aside his outer garment, he took a towel, he tied it around his waist, he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
So Simon Peter said, Lord, well, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, those, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. This is the word of the Lord. Here's what I want you to do as we begin our night. It's a little exercise. You can keep this number in your head, or you can write it down on, on your notebook and maybe even jot a little sentence or two as to why you're going to give yourself this number. But I want you to, on a scale from 1 to 10, if you are a professing Christian, I want to know, on a scale of 1 to 10, how you think God sees you tonight. 10 is like, man, Caleb, we've come in here. We're in a good spot. He sees me so well. 1 is like, Caleb, I dragged my feet into this place. I'm not quite sure he likes me. Scale of 1 to 10, where does God see you? How does God see you tonight? Think about that number in your head. You can write it down if you want. Feel free to share it with your group later if you want. Won't be pressure too. Scale of 1 to 10. As we look at this passage, we're going to look at two different points. Point one is going to be, we are clean. And point two is going to be, we must be washed. We are clean, and we must be washed. The prerequisite of our union with Christ is that we have to be washed. But I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus says here that you are clean, though not all of you, because he knew who was going to betray him. So what is it, Jesus? Are we clean, or do we need to be washed? Is this a contradiction? No, it's not. Um, in fact, what I'm going to try to argue at this first point is not until you understand our cleanness, you're, not until you understand that will you actually be equipped to go and be washed. Okay, so let me, let me explain what I mean by the most amazing story you will ever hear in your life. Um, this is one of those things, you know, when RUF people, they, they, they hear so many things from students, and then through the grapevine, you know, stories get out, and I think this story is about 10 years old. Um, there was a couple at TCU, all right, many years ago, you don't know these people, uh, and they'd been dating for a couple months, and it got around the holiday time. That's always an awkward time. Like, hey, we've only dated a couple months. Are you going to come to my house and visit with my family? Am I going to go to your house? Anyway, so she decides to go with her boyfriend, her newish boyfriend, to his house. Up until Thanksgiving, oh, I'm sorry, the holidays meaning Thanksgiving. Up until Thanksgiving, um, she kind of was getting a, a better picture thinking that this guy had some money, that he came from some money. But she shows up at his house, and it is like the biggest house that she has ever seen. And it's super formal, high etiquette. She's really intimidated, like, why did you not tell me that I'm coming? 
to a mansion and I'm going to be like treated like I'm some sort of royalty. I would have dressed different. I would have prepared a little better for this anyway. So Thanksgiving comes around. I, this is true, okay? Thanksgiving comes around. Um, important little information. They have this 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 boy. Um, they have a dog, a family dog. It's a little tiny Bashan freeze, you know, probably 12 pounds, all right? So the, the meal comes around, and in the middle of the meal, she has to go to the bathroom. And so she's thinking to herself, what do really fancy people call the bathroom? And so she thinks, well, the powder room. So she asks, um, there was like waiters and waitresses, and there's like a butler, and there's chefs, and there's people. This is at a house. Um, so she asks one of the waiters, hey, where's the powder room? And uh, he points her back to, to, and walks her back to a powder room. So she gets into this room, and little fluffy dog follows her in. And she realizes that this is just a powder room, like where you put your makeup on. I guess that's a thing. Wealthy people just have a room with a huge mirror like that, where you're just standing in front and like kind of, you know, putting powder on your face. She's like, well, I had to go pee. Um, do I now go back and like introduce to everybody, hey, sorry, I actually have to pee. Um, where is the bathroom? Or there's a sink that's attached to the bottom of, of, of the mirror. And so she chooses the ladder. She chooses to pee in the sink. And as she's hanging on to the mirror, the mirror falls off the wall, smashes the dog, and kills the dog. She has a, this obviously makes a humongous sound. Everyone comes rushing in like, what happened? She put her head, backs up against the wall, puts a hole in the wall. On the spot, the boyfriend breaks up there. <laughs> Says, you have brought me so much shame to my family. Like, we're done. We are done. Um, yeah, that's, that's real, guys. Uh, that is the epitome of a dating relationship. Uh, it is 100% conditional. If you screw up, you're out of there. Don't make me ashamed in front of my family or my friends. Um, this is a great example of my worst moment being held against me forever. It's over. And at the depths of your heart and my heart is this great fear. Yes. That that's the way our relationship with God moves. That the relationship that we have with God is conditional. That when we screw up enough times, or if we are seen as we truly are, or if we screw up big enough, that he's going to leave us. That we're going to have no part of him. So a lot of us kind of live with this like low-level anxiety and fear of like, where are we? We're afraid to, to expose our weakness. We're, we're afraid to admit that we're not so put together. We're, expo we're, we're afraid to be exposed to God. Because we think our relationship is conditional. And here's the thing, guys and gals. Our relationship with God is conditional. Our relationship with God is conditional. What is required for you to be in a right relationship with God is perfect obedience, a spotless, blameless life, 
In fact, the Bible says disobedience brings on the curse of God. It is conditional. You and I will receive the blessing of God with our perfect obedience. Otherwise, we receive the curse of God. And here's the great mystery of the Christian faith. So when we are united to Christ, the cleanliness of Christ, the never-screwed-up-once record of Christ, the perfect obedience of Christ, the righteousness of Christ is now yours. And you are clean. The condition has been met in your place. Once and for all. But Jesus, Jesus says, unless... Uh, Jesus says here, unless... Uh, that you are completely clean, you've been bathed, you don't need to be washed except for your feet. How have they been clean? Well, we actually read this uh, last night in, in John 15. How have they been cleaned? He later goes on to say this, Already you were clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. They're clean because of the word, the work, the ministry, the person of Jesus, and they believed that word. They believed that he was the Christ, and by faith they were clean. So do I have to be washed or am I clean? Yes. Um, you know, Patrick talked this morning in, in his grace talk, most of us understand on the cross that Jesus took on the consequence of our sin, that he took on the curse of our disobedience. But also on the cross, Jesus imputed, he gave, he gifted, he graced us with his perfect obedience, his righteousness, his blamelessness, his cleanliness. To you, by faith, are clean. The condition has been met forever. But there is a really cool Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah 3, where Joshua comes to the presence of God. And this depicts Christ, right? Since we're in Christ, it depicts us. The angel showed Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. You know, Jesus' name is Yeshua. Jesus' name is Joshua. Standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments, your sin and my sin. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. The filthy garments were taken off. And he was clothed with clean garments. It's the same thing we see in the prodigal son. You're, you're going to look at this story in more, more depth in your small group. The son, the younger lost son, comes home. And not only is he forgiven, but he's clothed with royalty. He's clothed with sandals. He's clothed with a robe, and he's brought into the feast. You know, what Jesus is teaching here in John 13, that you are clean. Is the heartbeat not just of 
Zechariah, and not just of Luke, but it's the heartbeat of Paul's teaching, and Peter's teaching, and John's teaching, and James's teaching. We are clean. And so the, trick, the, the question I asked you was a trick question. Because if you are in Christ, if you are a professing Christian by faith in Christ Jesus, you stand at a tent. Now and forever. Thank you. Amen. Now and forever. You might come in here and feel like you're a three. Or feel like whatever number you wrote down. But you stand before God clean. A ten. Forever. I think it's that news right there that actually that allows us to own up to our dirt. And to be washed. Which is the second point. We need to be washed. Jesus says at the beginning of, of the passage, the hour had come to depart and to go to his Father. And he loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. I love that. But what does it mean that he loved them to the end? Um, some people think different things about it. That he loved them until the end of his earthly life. Maybe he, had, he loved them until the, maybe the uttermost, to a full, encompassing extent. Either way, every commentator is going to say the same thing. What he's doing here is he's saying, love you to the end, and then he's going to demonstrate what that full extent looks like. So why are we in need of being washed? You and I are clean. So why do you need to be washed? Why do you need to be washed? So that you can experience the full extent of his love. You're not washed to be clean, because you're already clean. You're washed to experience the full extent of his love. You know, when I was, when I was your age, um, I, I, my, I grew up in the church, and I was just convinced that if I died after I had sinned and not said sorry to God, that I was going to go to hell. And that just doesn't work because we're clean. We don't say sorry. We don't repent to be made clean. We repent to experience the full extent of his love. To experience the grace of his forgiveness. You know, a common thing that I hear from, from college students, and I'm going to assume the same thing from y'all. They say something like this. I know God is real. I know the Bible says that he loves me, but I never experience it. Why is that? Well, sometimes, sometimes, it's because your heart's responding like Peter's. Lord, you wash me. You will never wash me. Believe the lie that your weakness and your sin and your failure your brokenness, your thoughts, your actions, the things that you are ashamed of, you believe the lie that they are a barrier to God. When in reality, they are the bridge to God. The crap in your life does not prevent you from the grace of God, but it brings you into the presence and the need of His, of his redeeming, forgiving grace. It's not a barrier. It's a bridge. Um, over the past year, I've, I've uh, become uh, mentored by an older man in his, in his 60s, and um, he was married for a long time, and, and for the last couple of years of his marriage, his wife suffered with cancer. 
And then after a two-year battle, she passed away. And she, he's many years removed now, and we've been able to kind of chat through what, what, what his marriage was like and what those two years were like. And he said, Caleb, those two years were the most intimate, the most loving years of our whole marriage. Why? Because intimacy, the experience of love in a relationship, is experienced most with brokenness and weakness and need. Um, there's a, a couple in our church um, that my wife and I, we had over a couple weeks ago, and she lives with a physical disability. She's, she has a muscular dystrophy, and she just has a really hard time walking. And the other night, they came over to our house, and uh, we have a few steps that come up into our front, front door of our house, and she can't go up steps. And so she hops on the back of her husband to go up into her house and sits down for dinner and hops on the back of her husband to go down the stairs and get back into the car. And as they left, I was sitting there and I was, and I was thinking, I said out loud to my wife, I said, they must have the most intimate marriage of anybody I know. Because every day she has to be exposed as weak and unable. Every day she's in need. The years in my marriage, the best years, the best weeks, the best months of my marriage is when I screw up or when she screws up and we have this time of reconciliation when we're in need, when we say sorry and we're forgiven, we experience the full extent of our love. And that's why we have to be washed, not to be made clean. We are washed to experience the full extent of God's forgiving love. I think this was Keller. Keller might have ripped it off from somebody else. But, but the quote goes like this. Human's greatest fear is to be fully seen and rejected. Do you relate to that? Human's greatest flaw is to pretend and to be accepted. That's shallow. But to be fully seen and fully accepted, that's the love of Christ for sinners. We are washed by Christ not to be made clean, because we're already clean. We are washed by Christ so that we can partake in his grace, experience his intimate love. I'm going to end with the story. There's, there's a girl, um, many years ago, many years ago, she, as a little girl, uh, grew up on a farm, and um, every day she'd see her dad go to work, and her mom would wash her dad's white button-up shirts for work. We'd wash them in a bucket, told you many years ago. And she'd hang the shirt up on the, on the clothespin to dry. Um, and so one day she wanted to love her dad like her mom loves her dad. And so she washes her daddy's shirt and she can't quite reach the clothesline. And over in the corner she sees there's a wheelbarrow. And so she goes and she hangs the, the white shirt up on, on the wheelbarrow. And her dad gets home and asks, hey, where's, where's my, my white shirt? And she's so excited. Says, daddy, daddy, I cleaned your shirt. It's over there. And goes and points her dad to the shirt. And he picks up the shirt and has this huge rust stain on the back of the shirt. And her dad just berates her. How could you ever do this? She tries to love her dad. 
And he just berates and belittles her. Many of you are afraid to be weak, to be exposed, because you think there's an angry tyrant out there who's coming at you. So here's where I want to end. My favorite part of this passage is the audacious love of Christ to be in a room with a man who's about to betray him and with 11 other men who are about to deny that they even know him. And in that spot, what does Jesus do? He takes off his garments, he puts on a towel, and he cleans them. The friends that he knew were about to betray him, he cleans them. You know, what would you do with those sorts of people in the room? Would you spit on their feet? Would you leave the room like, I know what you're about to do, screw you. What does he do? The master, the Lord, the teacher, the greatest of them all becomes the lowest. Comes a servant, takes off his garment and cleans them that they might experience his love. Before, and he's going to teach a lot, he's going to say a lot, and we're going to look at all he says before you hear a word the rest of the week. You need to know tonight, he's not an angry tyrant coming at you. He's a servant laying his life down for you, washing you, that you might experience and believe his love. Many years later, that that girl became a woman, and that woman um, had some daddy issues, as you might expect. She grew older and got a counselor. And she's sitting one day with her counselor, and after many sessions, realizes that, you know, these wounds have really affected my life. And so the counselor asks her, how would God have responded to you in that moment? And she wasn't sure, but after some thought, she said, I guess the father would just throw away the shirt, hug me and forgive me, and tell me to do better next time. And the counselor said, you still don't get it, do you? God would not overlook the shirt, but he would take it, he'd put it on, he'd wear it to work the next day, and when someone commented on the rust marks, he would say, let me tell you about my little girl, how much she loves me. We are loved. We are loved by Christ. We're not just put up with. We've been made clean We have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. We have a God who loves us and sees us as clean. And because of that, we can bring our true, dirty selves to him and experience the grace of forgiveness, experience the intimate love, being seen and accepted. Um, Here's what I want to do as we end. I want just to take a moment. It's the beginning of the week. You all brought some baggage into your week. I want to take a moment of silent repentance, very similar as we did last night. Um, you know, I don't know what that is for you. I imagine you all are bringing in all sorts of stuff. I imagine you're bringing in a sinful relationship that you may be in. I imagine you're bringing in pornography addiction that you just can't get out. Imagine you're bringing in continued shame and hatred of your body. I imagine you're bringing in all sorts of fears and anxieties. I want to take a moment. I want you to experience the washing of God's forgiving love for you.
Whatever that is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take a moment of silence and pray and name in your head. Name, Lord, here it is. Here's what's weighing heavy on me today. Lord, would you wash me? Would you wash me? I'm going to give you a few seconds to do that, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Lord, we are a a sinful people who you delight in because we are clothed in your son's righteousness. We are clean. So we come before you not trying to say the right words and hope that it works. We come before you with confidence because Christ is our friend and our Savior. And we come with these sins that are weighing heavy on us. Lord, we want to be free. Would you change our desires? Would you change our hearts? Would you change our minds? Would you renew us? Would you forgive us? Would you restore us? This week, would we experience the full extent of your love? You don't just put up with us. You don't just throw away the shirt, but you put it on. You're proud of us. You love us. We know that all the more. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.